When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Okay, motherfucker! What are you looking at, sir? I'm looking at you, miss. Run that, baby. I'm not the Zodiac. And if I was, I certainly wouldn't tell you. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Imprint Companion in 2024, and we are talking the biggest behemoth of a batch that landed for everyone in December of 2023. I am one of your disc-spinning hosts, Blake Howard, and here with me is my brother in all things physical media. It's the legendary Alexi Toliopoulos. Lex, it's so good to be back talking movies with you talking physical media we haven't even started recording this show because we've been excitedly showing each other christmas uh purchases <laughs> um so it's so good to have uh, a chat with you again about all things disc and we've got a banger today talking about one of the best releases from imprint it's crazy blake this bundle my cup overfloweth my <laughs> darling that's all i can say this is such an insane bundle yeah. it's taken us even longer than usual to get through it all but i think we've done a good job putting a big dent in it because it is packed of movies my estimation is there are there's over like a dozen movies this week yeah there's, there's like, over a dozen movies there's, there's at least like 15 16 movies and that's not mm -hmm. including some of the docos that are included mm -hmm. on some of the discs so yeah you're probably talking close to 20 movies in this batch you've got seven lumette films even though one of them isn't in the box set that we're talking about today but let's before we talk about the entire december batch over the next couple of episodes you're going to listen to this first episode exclusively is going to feature the directed by sydney lumette volume one films from 1964 mm -hmm. to 73 it's number 280 to 285 on the spine numbers of the imprint collection it features The Pawnbroker, The Group, The Deadly Affair, Child's Play, The Offense, and like one of the seminal movies of the 1970s. In fact, Lex is sitting in front of a poster of it in his <laughs> home right now. Mm -hmm. It is Serpico uh, with Al Pacino. Attica! Um, so yeah, it's well, that's dog day afternoon, brother. I hate to yeah. break it to you. No, it's it's no, it's Attica, right? It's Attica, that's what it is. Yeah, no, 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 that's yeah, dog yeah. day afternoon. No, bro, no, I've please. seen this, I've seen this. Hold no, on, no, wait, no, it's no. Hoo -ha. Hoo -ha. is that the one? No, is that no, the... no, oh my god, my brain is melting. <laughs> I can't handle this kind of stuff. Uh, but yes, I adore Serpico, an all time favorite of mine. And we've talked about seeing Lament a few times on this podcast. Yeah, there's been a few other imprint releases. I remember in our early episodes, not falls on manhattan one of my Banger. favorite discoveries of the last few years was yeah. an imprint release but this box has a few other surprises in store for me too off the top of my head the only one i had seen before was serpico 
Agree. in this box that I had in the past, I'd tracked down the pawn broker. I'd tracked down the offense from overseas releases. <laughs> I have now regifted those over the Christmas period that we've got this beautiful box set. And maybe we should start from the top of the list. I'll say this, the pawn broker, it is the, my favorite film I watched all of last year. Whoa. My favorite discovery. I'd never seen it before. It shot up to number one on my list of discoveries for 2023 within 40 minutes of the movie starting. Like very quickly, I was like, this is an all timer for me. And I dare I say it, dare I say it, it might be my favorite favorite Sidney Lumet film now. Jeez, that is a huge call. Let's listen to a quick trailer and we'll unpack it (laughs) for you when the trailer concludes. Makes you so bitter. Bitter? I'm a man of no anger. I have no desire for vengeance for what was done to me. I have escaped from the emotions. I am safe within myself. All I ask and want is peace and quiet. Why haven't you found Because people like you will not let me. I get up with the one that calls a move. And if the thing goes, I say, if, there'll be no shooting. Because shooting is trouble. It's stupid. <laughs> Send the papers. What do you do to me then? You kill me? So kill me. It's a chicken business. Two dollar loan, five dollar loan, peanuts. You think? Peanuts. Try five thousand dollars, man. Because I want Mr. Nassim. I must have put in his safe. But come on. What do you want to die? Get out of the way of that All right, Hornbroker, if you're not sure uh, what it's about or you've never heard of it, it's about a World War II Nazi death camp survivor and he takes refuge in misery and bitter condemnation of humanity while managing a Harlem pawn shop subjected to an endless parade of prostitutes, pimps, and thieves. It stars Rod Steiger, who is a star of In the Heat of the Night on the waterfront. Um, it's based on a famous novel by Edward Lewis Wallant. It's directed by Sidney Lumet, of course, and is uh, from 1964. Lex, let's unpack. You said just before we took a quick break to listen to that trailer that it was your favorite discovery of the year, and you said that it only took 40 minutes. And I can reveal to the listener that Lex had said to me, Blake, this is some of the most amazing editing I think I've ever seen in a film. So let's let's dive into that because that's so huge for you as a guy who was a massive Serpico guy a massive dog day guy, a massive Lumet guy. 
Mm-hmm. And the porn broker just skyrockets up to the top of that list. <laughs> Number one, I think it is. <laughs> the more I think about it, the more I think it's my favorite Lumet film. And it is the editing that I found really fascinating because to contextualize what the porn broker is, it's been a film that has been on my radar for as long as I've been interested in film. Mm. It just has never been very easily available in Australia. And I think there is, sometimes when there's like those important films, you just put off watching them. Yes. And this film is the Because first... you want concentration. There's concentration. so many times you look back and you repeat something because you're like, this movie's going to be too good. I can't, I can't do the second screen thing. I can't have someone ring my phone. I can't have, mm. you know, I can't be eating dinner while I'm watching it. I need to actually just make the time watch it in peace and with all of my focus. Mm-hmm. And when it comes to Lumet, that's often how I try to do it. And I, because this film is significant in that it is the first mainstream American film uh, to be about a Holocaust survivor in uh, like overt way, where it is, that is the content of the film. That is the context of the film. That is the character whose life you are experiencing and finding the empathy for and discovering as the film continues. I think that it's, it's a heavy film. It's a very Mm. heavy film. So it was hard for me to just go, let me put it on beyond just trying to track it down and find the movie. Uh, the way that this film places you within the Rod Steiger character into his shoes, into his brain, into his mindset is sublime editing. There are within the first few minutes of this film, you see Rod Steiger's character. He's a pawnbroker. He works at a pawn shop, but you see him in like suburban upper, like upstate New York or something like that, or like, you know, somewhere in New York, but not the city, it's the suburbs. And you see him just kind of like sitting out in the backyard and there's a second where something happens, like someone calls his name or something like that. There's something that happens and you just see a subconscious flash on the screen flashback for one second where you just Mm. see, a former life of his for like less than a second. It's so brief. And then he, as the recollection keeps coming, as he's experiencing his life, he keeps thinking back to this moment and the flashes get longer and it goes back to a flashback. Uh, And that's something that has, that happens throughout the movie. And I just thought I've never seen technique just like that. And it surprises me because this is a well-known movie and this is such an evocative use of editing technique to bring you into the zone of a character, to to bring you into a flashback in a way that you in a way that is so like when you go to your own recollections. It's a great like evocation of one's own memories. I was like, how do, how have I not seen this a hundred times in other movies? <laughs> yeah. Surely there's other examples that I must have seen that have learned this technique from this film, have employed it, but nothing came to mind straight away. And I just thought it was just the power of cinema in those moments. And it was more daring than I've seen anything from Lumet before, because Lumet is a brilliant director, but he is, he's, he's interesting like, because so- he's, He's like he's Soderberg. kind of a journeyman, but he's, yeah, he's kind like... of also not really an auteur because he's done. But the thing about him is he's a friend to the writer. I always think of him as a friend to the writer. He plays by the written word. A lot of his films are theatrical 
because of that. Yes. And there's ones in here that I think are that theatrical experience rather than cinematic in a way that I think is good. And I mean that as a compliment, but um, this to me was pure cinema. And I thought that was a daring use of technique that I'm so not used to with Lumet and it blew me away. I think the pawnbroker, I can't say it enough it's my favorite Lumet film. And I have <laughs> I have a poster of Serpico on my wall. That's a Japanese release that I tracked down. And I I, I bid big money on it because I wanted it so bad. I love Lumet. The pawnbroker is so special and it's been so hard to find. To me, it's worth the entire box to buy it for that film. And beyond that, there's other great movies in here as well. Did you catch up with the pawnbroker as well, I Blake? I did. I did. And I think you put it so beautifully, which is like, it's the kind of intimacy that is usually reserved for like a voiceover narration. And instead, yes. it takes you into these immediate flashbacks. And it also takes you in, I think you put it so perfectly, which is like sometimes a moment in your life, especially if it's a hard moment, a stressful moment, takes you back to maybe a stressful traumatic moment in your past and what your first reaction is. And I've heard, you know, great actors talking about it recently, Martin Landau. I saw this great clip of Martin Landau talking mm. about like how he doesn't like people watching people pretend they're drunk. He goes, cause when you're drunk, the first thing that you do, if you're in real life is that you pretend that you're sober, that you can have mm. more to drink. And I feel like that's what this movie does. It goes like, has a flash to a moment and Rod Steiger's character, his name is Sol. He immediately dismisses it. He tries to bring himself back to the present and the increasing trauma of the movie and the increasing events and the acceleration of the story and all the things that are happening, particularly, you know, whether it's him being distracted by um, Jesus Ortiz, who's his like little uh, <laughs> office worker, co-worker mm -hmm. played by Jamie Sanchez, or whether it's Rodriguez um, who is played by Brock Peters, who's just amazing. This incredible kind of pimp businessman figure. Mm -hmm. Um, it's it or, or like um, his sort of tough relationship with Geraldine Fitzgerald, all this stuff that's happening at the same time in the movie, he's kind of trying to block it out. And what happens is the movie teaches you its language and starts opening the floodgates of all these memories that he does not want to address coming back into his present. And he's dragging this all back. And so you're so right. It starts off as these little flashes that he's trying to contain and the further along the movie goes as it's going to its crescendo, and I don't want to spoil it for people, but just to say that the editing was just like completely transfixing. And you're so right, Lex. It's like, this is his most dynamically edited thing. And it feels like he's mm. being a friend to the writer because rather than having this interior dialogue, he's rendering memory flooding back to the character visually. And I think it's so cool. And what I just mentioned before about him being a little bit like Soderbergh is that Soderbergh, He's sometimes devalued in his like innovation because he's such a functional filmmaker who loves great scripts and loves working with actors. And he's like, if I can't think of a reason why to not do a two shot, which is like a shot reverse shot of two actors, I won't do it. It has to be a reason in the script or it has to be something. And I feel like this is the most I've ever felt that those two are alike because Lumet has clearly looked at the words on the page and gone, the editing is the only way actually into the interior of this character. And mm. so I, I had such an amazing time with it and it flew by. It was such a great watch. And I was like, wow, like just, and you know, the funny thing about Rod Steiger is that like, he's usually the guy that gets kind of the piss taken out of him. Cause he's like the guy who has to act against Marlon Brando and on the waterfront mm. and be the classic Hollywood actor. 
And I feel like when he went into the sixties, like he tried to genuinely stretch himself. And so I found this to be yeah, a really incredible, actor. In- incredible performance by him in his sort mm. of later career um, as he was sort of taking the third act of his career. So I, yeah, I had a great time. It was excellent. And I think you're spot on. There's like two or three others in here. I want to give a big recommend to, but genuinely, if you've never seen the poor broker and you're a Lumet fan, you need to own this box set just for that. There's, there's mm. nothing else you need to know. Yeah. I agree completely. Beautiful film. Absolutely loved it. I cannot wait to watch it again. I'm going to try and find the script out there too, because I just want to see what the written word is for it. And yeah. it's got some wonderful special features on it as well. I was exploring the special features. Uh, I think it is, I can't, I just can't recommend this set enough, but in particular, the pawnbroker is one to go for. Blake, what was the next movie in this box set that you dug your little gorgeous teeth into <laughs> the next one is 1972's child's play Charles play from 1972 stars James Mason, Robert Preston, and Beau Bridges. At an exclusive boys' school, a new gym teacher is drawn into a feud between two older instructors and discovers that everything at the school is not quite as stead, tranquil, and harmless as it seems. So it's kind of in the grand tradition of films that probably come after it, probably definitely come after it. Of course, <laughs> I'm thinking about stuff like Dead Poet Society, yeah. School Ties, also in imprint collection. Yes. And the more recent, The Holdovers. It's a boys' school, a boys' boarding school, which I think is always fertile ground to follow some interesting thematics about men and masculinity. What did Charles Play offer you, Blake? Charles Play is a weird movie. Uh, Bo Bridges, weird actor, James Mason, absolutely chewing the movie's face off, chewing scenery. And it is, it's a, a suspense film, but it also has this like weird, um, very weird, like psychological, almost occult feeling like hypnotic mm. cultish vibe to the students in the school. And it has this level of hostility with these older teachers and sort of Bo Bridges as a, a you know, you know, and I, I forgive the pun here, but he's literally like a connecting point. He's an, an intergenerational bridge because he used to be a student at this school. He's coming back to teach. Mm. He's like meant to be the kind of young, cool teacher that you would see later on Robin Williams playing something like Dead Poets. Um, and James Mason's the sort of crusty old curmudgeon teacher that's really hard on his students. But there's a level of hostility that the entire time, and I don't want to spoil the ins and outs of the story, but like mm. there's weird shit going on and these kids are kind of torturing each other, hazing each other. So it has a little bit more in common with say school ties than dead poets, but it's, it's, it's got a really hostile feel. And I don't think boarding schools need much work to freak you out. And mm, Sydney yes. Lumet has a great time freaking you out. And I think a lot of people talked about, Mason being absolutely terrific in here. And I'm a bit funny on Mason. I can 
take him or I can leave him. I love um, him. I love um, him. He's one of my guys. <laughs> I'm glad he is. But he, in this one, he's really chewing scenery. He's really doing it well. And I think that his hostility and his curmudgeoniness, um, it really works because it keeps you guessing in this movie as to what it is, like what the hell is going on. And I think that that's actually quite comforting in a movie where you're like watching it and there's all this weird stuff happening and there's all this internal strife and conflict with the teachers and there's a lot of politicking going on so that when you get to the conclusion of the movie, like you are not ready for it. And so I would say, I, I don't want to spoil it here, but I will just say like, I, I had a quite a good time because it's, it's, there's something in a movie, any movie that you're like watching it like I have no fucking idea where this is going and I was having a good time watching it and I think Mason was pretty good um in this it's not my favorite Mason but uh yeah I I had a good time with this and it, again it just shows Lumet's dexterity like he's making a freaking like boarding school like weird odd uh, occult thrillery kind of thing at the same time as you're you know about to see like a a British neo-noir sort of thing <laughs> and all you know mm-hmm. and you're about to see like this life's uh you know a, a, a uh, the life and times of a group of friends, you know, a bunch of girls who went to school together, you know, in the interwar period, you know, like, so um, yeah, I had a really good time with this. You, you got to sort of um, check this one out sort of passively. Am I right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I didn't really get the chance to focus on it. I was too busy, but I was like, oh, I want to squeeze one more Lumet in. So I kind of had it on the background while I was doing some work. Um, it's an interesting one, but, I think it's something that I've come up almost every time I've talked about these kind of boys boarding school movies. It's, it's so far removed from my experience. And I think I find like a lot of the time when I watch uh, movies set in a world of teenagers, I often want to find that reflective point in them. Yeah. And this one, I couldn't quite find my way in. So, in that case, I do think it wouldn't. It demands another watch from me. Like it's a Lumet film. I got to try and watch it again with more focus, and I will be doing so soon. There's one film in this box set that I want. I'd love to move on to because I don't think I'd ever even heard of it. I'd never and heard of it. I find this film like such a bizarre <laughs> entry into the filmography of Lumet, and I want to explore further. And there's a audio commentary on here that I know that I'll listen to. I might even listen to it on the first watch. (laughs) Um, I'm of course speaking about the group, which is a rare film for Sydney Lumet because it is about a group of women in between the two, uh, first world war and second world war. Right. Yep. Yep. And it's based on a novel by Mary MacArthur. And it's the rare movie of seeing the men because these films are so always about men. Like there are yeah. the films about men, about masculinity for a lot of it, but in a really like intellectual way, I'd say his films are. So I found this like what an oddity that he made this movie about a group of young career-minded women, a group of female friends, um, based on a book by a woman as well. I think I read somewhere that like um Pauline Kale was like on set like and wrote a lot about this movie and it just seemed like it was not it's 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 a film that does not have a good critical response or good critical legacy I would say but I have not had a chance to watch it have you seen did you watch this one Blake it has one of the greatest female casts I've ever seen though <laughs> it's like it's got yeah. Candace Bergen Joan Hackett Elizabeth Hartman like 
the, the, uh, Jessica Walter, like some of these names mm-hmm. that I'm saying you're hearing, like the, the I these love sort Jessica of Walter. love Jessica Walter too, like mm. um, amazing cast. And essentially it's about a group of friends who are all friends at like university together in the very traditional way of their time. They're all like getting married off and things like that. And basically it's, it's all these sort of dysfunctional relationships and how they, they come together, are torn apart and then come back together again. And it's, it's weird, man. Like I was watching it kind of, uh, I was watching it and I was really interested just at the, the original makeup of the movie and this sort of meat cutes and how they're, you know, all the societal sort of trimmings that you would expect at the time. But I, I didn't like this one. <laughs> it's come, might come as a shock to you that like a film about eight friends in the 1930s who all have to get married and like, you know, all those sorts of things. But it's, but it, it, it was semi-controversial for, or actually the novel was because the novel confronted certain topics and things that were like taboo at the time, which is like, you know, you know, um, being gay and mm-hmm. the, the idea of contraception and, you know, mental illness and things like that, that were, you know, happening amongst his characters. But by the time this movie's being made, like it's, it's being made, uh, and I'll just confirm the date. It's like 1966. So these are topics de jour. And I think it's one of those movies that's trying to say like, oh, you know, we had these same problems, you know, earlier. And, you know, there were women who were our forebears as far as these kind of like political ideals and et cetera. But it just doesn't like, it doesn't really land. Like I, I, Mm. it just doesn't feel like it tracks and, it's one of those things where maybe it is Lumet's like gaze that he's not a woman and knowing how this all works. It is very functional, you know, it doesn't feel like mm. there's a lot of emotion. So it didn't really have me emotional. It, um, the, the male characters, funnily enough, like the douchebag husbands that all these women are with are kind of more interesting. Um, but I, I do want to w- watch it again, or at least put it on. Cause it does have an audio commentary by Adrian Martin. Which yeah, is, that's what I'm interested in because that's what I'm interested in too. Yeah, I really like Adrian Martin's work a lot, and I love his audio commentaries from back in the director's sweet days of physical media. But just because this film seems like I have yet to see it, so I'm prejudging it. The wrong person for the job. Yeah, big time. Yeah, <laughs> it just doesn't feel like Lumet is up to this kind of material. And everything that I've heard and read about it seems to say that since then, since discovering even exists. And the Pauline Kale piece, it's in her book, Kiss, Kiss, Bang, Bang. You can read it. I've got it. Um, but it is, yeah, about the making of this film. Um, and I really, really want to read that. So I think I've got a copy of that book. I might just read that and then watch the movie. Um, yeah, very interesting. Very interesting. Lumet, a nice departure for him. Interesting. Yeah. Uh, there's another movie in here. I Did you can see we just say? There? Can we just say... We're going to skip the, we, can we just say, guys, I think we can say comfortably, we're going to skip Serpico because Mm -hmm. it's pretty self-evident despite me baiting Lex with the wrong quote for the movie at the beginning of the podcast that like, this is an incredible film and it's like a seminal film of the 1970s, a seminal film in Al Pacino's career, a seminal like cop film. It's like a genre buster. Like once they made Serpico, you couldn't make a cop movie that didn't that didn't contend with Serpico for like the next mm. two decades. It's impossible. And Pacino's they still entire, are. They still are. They're still trying to do even something like Serpico mm. and they have to, and it's now in the cultural lexicon. So we're going to skip it and suffice it to say, you probably already own it. 
you might already do mm. that. And in the box set, you're just getting a beautiful Blu-ray, you know, from the 2K scan version of this thing. So that's what it's worth getting. And there's another disc um, about a Lumet documentary that's on there about his entire career in television and how crazy mm. that was leading up to that. So that's great. But let's talk about this one because I had never seen this one. And this was a fascinating one for me because in the lead is the ultra tough man's man, impervious James Bond, legendary Sean Connery in a thrilling neo-noir, um, a, a British film, which for Lumet fans is like, wait, he's not making a movie in New York. What the hell's going on? It is called The Offense. Also, crazily, in his insane run, released in 1973. Here's a trailer. A burnt out British detective finally snaps while interrogating a suspected child molester. That detective is played by Sean Connery. Um, it's this film. He's uh, his, his character is detective Sergeant Johnson. He's been an officer for like 20 years. The film begins with this act where he beats a suspect and there's sort of like a revolving few different techniques of different flashbacks that occur and it is then trying to piece the pieces of his life after the events and to reconstruct what happened to led him to that because he's a super passionate cop. He's been trying to protect uh, the community from this child predator. And you can see that he's lost his temper, but it's like, how did he get to this point where he actually lost it, even though he's kind of a quite a curmudgeonly sort of cop in the first place. Lex, had you seen the offense before? Is this your first time? And uh, I'd be really keen to hear your thoughts on like checking it out recently. Yeah, this was my first time with The Offense. Uh, it's a film that I'd read a lot about, um, but it was hard to come across in Australia as well. Yes. Um, so it was the one that I jumped on right after the porn break. I think I watched them in the same weekend <laughs> or something. Yeah. Um, it's a very, very bleak movie. It's a very, very bleak Huge. movie. And it's an interesting casting of Sean Connery. And it's another movie that Lumet made with Connery. It's escaping me now. But something that's interesting about the way he casts Connery is when we think about Connery, especially like 
60s, 70s, we think about James Bond, we think about a very suave hero. Lumet casts him against type every time. And in this film, he's so far removed from his suave hero, James Bond. He doesn't even look like him. Like, he's not wearing his toupee. He's bald in this movie. He seems a lot older than he was uh, in this era or how you even think about him in the early 70s. And he, 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 he plays someone so conflicted and there's so much ambiguity in this. Like, is he, does he feel guilty uh, when he's beating these, this pedophile up because he's harboring feelings uh, of this, you know, he's perhaps he also a guilty party in pedophilia or does he have those deep feelings recessed within him kind of, it's a very interesting movie. And I think I would note to this, is Lumet has adapted a few plays and stuff. Mm. And especially his TV era is very much in that type as well. And um, like, you know, the TV plays before they were like TV shows, they were TV plays and Lumet worked in that. And when he does, you can tell that it's a play. And I think this is one of those where it feels so much like a theatrical experience rather than a cinematic one. It does tricks to be both but it's because it's so dialogue driven and so small space driven for a lot of it you're kind of in two confined spaces for a lot of this movie um it feels very much like you're trapped in there i think the moments that you're talking about that i like i really love what you said i love that connery so against type it was mm. surprised and shocked me watching it because he was such a star at that time that i guess I don't know whether it's like movie lore or just bullshit that you learn, but like that his ego would not allow him to just be such a conflicted character. Like he wanted just to maintain his star power. And I love that about this, that he doesn't. And then the other cool thing that you said was, I actually think that the moments that this breaks from the confines of being this sort of um, very claustrophobic play like text. And, and there's one scene in particular where a, a girl goes missing and the camera is sort of anchored in a very sort of surveillance, but like locked off moment. And it sees her walking down to this sort of very ominous under underpass um, in the distance. And you see a man whose identity is not revealed at the time. Um, taking her there, this abductor. And some of those moments in this movie, those things, especially other, another great shot of like, um, you know, uh, Connery's uh, character, Sergeant Johnson, following um, a criminal informant to get some more information about another, you know, a, a, about someone to take in another suspect, you know, when it actually is outside, I think that that's where it's like, it's actually terrifying. Like it reminded me a little bit of like, Danny Vellanue's prisoners and stuff like that, where you're like looking yes. far in the distance and there's like suspects are around everywhere and, and people are all acting suspiciously. Um, but it was like, it was dank and it was dark and it never felt like the sun was going to shine. It was bleak. It had a lot of those keystones, those touchstones. Um, and so I, I really enjoyed this at, largely because I'm such an incredibly huge James Bond fan and I've seen all of Sean Connery stuff and all of the, the big ticket items that are in his career that I'd never seen this and I'd never seen him surrender to something. So, you know, so something so kind of like ambivalent. Uh, it was mm. really nice to see that because you're like, 
yeah, he's a fantastic actor. He's been in Hitchcock stuff. He's, you know, he's, he's been in De Palma stuff and uh, won Academy Awards with De Palma. And it's not all just like flash and fluff. Um, uh, He's not always just like popping up in Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves for three minutes, you know, like it's, mm. it's, 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 you know, there's so many great things in his career. Um, or Zardoz, um, uh, a, a big, big fan of that. But yeah, I really liked this for him mm. as an actor and, it is not a fun hang. It's not something I'm going to race back to, but I really, I think it's another worthwhile sort of gem in the Lumet box. And I would say this, they have made five films together in total. The Anderson Tapes, Family Business, which I have seen, The Hill, and of course, Murder on the Orient Express, Express. another one that I've seen, but not for a very long time. And he uses him very interestingly. And it's kind of, it's, it's something I never think of. They've had multiple collaborations. It's a it's a pair of filmmakers. Is that and actor. his most? Is that his most collaborations with another filmmaker? I mean, off the top of my head, it might be for both of them most. Yeah. Wow. And you never think about them as an actor director pairing. Never. Shit. I've never once thought about them. That's awesome. Mm, Maybe. Well, it, hopefully they. Well, should this is volume more. one. This is volume this one. Should, Volume two, hopefully there's a few more in there. There are many treasures still left in this box for us to uncover. <laughs> Documentaries about Cine Lumet's filmography, analyzing his work, looking at oh, it. Oh no, I did watch it. the I did watch the Becoming Lumet documentary, which is unbelievable. Like just watching mm. the early days of television and teleplays and watching how many shows he worked on and and when you look at how much of a, a craftsman and a filmmaker that he is, ultimately it's like the reps, you know, the reps that he did in television, shooting things mm-hmm. live, shooting live plays, doing all that sort of stuff. It's actually incredible. So it's really intimidating. <laughs> it's really intimidating to be genuine. It's like, oh my God. Um, yeah, but it's a really terrific and enlightening thing that I I never knew anything about Lumet. So it was mm-hmm. it was awesome. Well, we certainly do love your Sydney Lumet. We anticipate volume two eventually coming out. And I can't even imagine what will be in there because he was a very prolific man. He made a lot of freaking movies oh over God. his career. And already Night Falls on Manhattan's been released. So it's going to be some interesting stuff in there. I'm hoping another Connery to boot to follow on from the offense. Can we get can we play a guessing game? We've never done this before. This yes. is nine years, 64 to 73. So I'm going to bounce down to 1974 and just go up the sort of the same sort of years. So we've got 74, we've got Love Murder and Molly. on the Orient Express, Murder right? Murder on the Orient Express, Dog Day Afternoon, Network, Equus, mm-hmm. The Wiz, Just Tell Me What You Want, Prince of the City, Death Trap, The Verdict, Daniel, and that's 80, up to 83. Wow, okay. So uh, in that patch, Verdict, Prince of, like, these are the biggies. Verdict, Prince of the City, mm, Network, Dog Day, ones. Murder on the Orient Express. They're, they're massive movies. All of them were massive, and some of them were Academy Award nominated to boot. So an incredible purple patch in his career right then. Mm, I'm thinking I, I would love to see Murder on the Orient Express come through on this one. Um, and the, on the next one would be very interesting. I feel like Dog Day Network, they're all, they're very big. People have seen those. They might, um, I, but I think they might try and chuck one in. And if I think they do, I hope it's Network because Dog Day seems to mm. have more of its own unique individual yeah. releases. So I hope if they're going to do that, I would love the Wiz. I would love the yeah. Wiz to come out 
Like that would be great. And Prince of the City deserves a good um a local yeah. Blu-ray release, you know. I'd say so I've already that's one that I imported. So oh. please increase, don't put that one. I've already spent money on it. I well, can't, Death Trap. I don't need it again. Death Trap. Death that's Trap. A, definitely, yeah. I would love to see yeah, that in there. Death Trap. Let's get that. Equus, I'd love to see as well. Yeah, um, I don't know, man. There's one, there's a 90s one that I've never seen that I've always wanted to uh, because it is from the writer of Carlito's Way, Edwin Torres, yes. uh, called Q&A with uh, Nick Nolte and Timothy Hutton and Armando Sante. I've never um, seen it either. Yeah, it's uh, it's because the author of Carlito's Way and After Hours, the the those two books about Carlito Brigante, he was a judge, and he that Q and A is another book that he wrote, and I've just always been like, ah, I've always wanted to read the books, and I've always wanted to see those movies too. And late eighties is good too. You've got like Running on Empty with River Phoenix. Mm-hmm. I um, like and that the, movie a lot. And and then so we've got we already had Night Falls in Manhattan, and then. And then he's kind of like directing TV, like his last, I mean, he does yeah. All the Devil Knows You're Dead, but he's got Gloria with Sharon Stone. Oh, weird. The remake of the, the weird John Cassavetes yeah. film. Weird, weird remake. It is a weird make. Weird make. Uh, but I got a soft spot for Find Me Guilty. And I think Lumet might be in consideration for the one of the best final films from a filmmaker before yeah. the devil knows you're dead i think it's it's one of his best movies and it's very rare when you see a filmmaker go out on something that high quality that speaks to so much of their previous work as well it's that an unstoppable mate it's a it's a heavyweight championship mm-hmm. between before the devil knows you're dead and unstoppable the best film that the filmmaker <laughs> you know makes uh, one of the high quality best movies as mm-hmm. their last film it's so so rare you're so right Guys, thank you. This we've just we've just natted on. We've had such a fun time talking Sydney and Matt. Thank you so much for listening. We're going to catch you on another episode of the Imprint Companion very soon. Um, Lex, is there any last minute plugs that you want to do while we are chatting now, so um, that get people excited to listen to you elsewhere, um, outside um, of the Imprint Companion? Check out special features. I am cooking up a new podcast project as well Uh-oh. that I'm very looking forward to this year. But my main thing I'd love to push people towards is sunburnt screens the australian cinema odyssey it is an introduction to australian film that i've been making uh over the last few months with umbrella films broly and dm media um i'm really proud of it it's just like if you want to get into australian film and you want an access point um this is it for you uh made great episodes about uh, they're kind of like audio documentaries, I'd say, where it's like lots of interviews, interesting topics, great experts, but great filmmakers. And I've done episodes about Australian horror cinema in the 21st century. I've done episodes about queer cinema in Australia, Ozploitation with Brian Trenchard-Smith. And I'll tee up what we're doing next. Uh, I've got two big career retrospectives with two of our greatest filmmakers that I'm editing at the moment. Oof. One with Rolf De Heer oh. and one with Gillian Armstrong. Two of my very favorite filmmakers. I got to sit with them for a very long time. They were very generous with how much they spoke to me and um, cutting them into some really beautiful episodes for you guys. So check it out. Sunburnt Screens, the Australian Cinema Odyssey. And Blake, what are you working on at the moment? What do you want to push people towards? Uh, Midnight Run Through is a collaboration I'm doing with my great friend, Jen Johans of the Watch With Jen podcast. Uh, We are doing a 12 episode series on Midnight Run, 1988 flick by Marty Brest. 
written by George Gallo, starring two of our guys, Charles Grodin, Robert De Niro. One of the funniest action comedy movies ever made. It's agree, agree, agree. Hilarious. It is mm-hmm. heartfelt. It is infinitely rewatchable. And we have just had such a joyful time talking to so many wonderful dynamic duos. We do have a single person episode. That's because the legendary George Gallo came and talked to Jen and I. Wow. It's going to be one of our final episodes of the series. Yeah, we've had amazing guests besides George Gallo. We've had Drew McWeeney, uh, great writer and uh, film critic for a long time. Ben David Grabinski, one of the co-creators of the terrific um, Scott Pilgrim Takes Off series. Uh, crime authors, Jedediah Ayers and Nikki Dolson. A legend in the biz, TCM's Ben Mankiewicz. And Alan Seppenwall, one of the great chroniclers God. of TV and one of the greatest fans of Midnight Run and two other fantastic critical writers, Nell Minow and Peter Avellino. That is just the first four episodes that are out as I am talking to you. Plenty more to come with some other amazing guests, including George Gallo. So um, that is a big one for us right now. And I just want to tease um, whenever I do an announcement of a new show, the next mini series we're working on over at One Heat Minute Productions is Too Many Minutes, a sneakers <laughs> mini series uh, with some incredible guests uh, that are going to be coming on the show, including Bill Arden Robinson, the director and co-writer of Sneakers as well. Oh, um, hell so, yeah. So... Sneakers, great movie. One of the recommendations from Blake unto me that I had not seen before, <laughs> and I loved it. A great time with Sneakers. So lots of cool stuff coming up. But yeah, I think uh, Lex and I, when we're not doing projects outside of each other, we're talking about the projects that we're doing to each other. So it's been super cool. Um, but look, thank you guys for listening. We love doing this show. Thank you to Imprint um, uh, Films. We love what they're doing. Um, Mm -hmm. and uh, we will uh, catch you on the next episode we're going to split up December batch and get talking about the Feb batch so don't miss it When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.